We'd like to make a tribute to Jared Wilson, who passed away September the 9th at the age of 30. He's an author, pastor, father, husband. Jared Wilson and I were not even close to being tight. I wouldn't say we were even good friends. He was actually one of many people whose relationship I had with was basically completely based on text messages. I think I met the guy once, but we texted back and forth, you know, a dozen times or so. In fact, I'll read you a couple. This one says, cannot make this up. Spoke at a church a few weeks back on depression. Lady emailed and said my message was a D plus at best because it was too dark and I should have talked about something else. Little did she know there was a line of kids afterwards wanting to talk to me and thank me for being open and honest because they felt alone. Get out of here. I mean, when you open up about your struggles, people get something out of it and they feel less alone. Wow. Here's another one that he texted me. Whether you know it or not. Well, let me say that Jared was on the Bad Christian podcast, I think a couple of times and on this podcast a couple of times as well. So he says, referring, I reckon, to uh, the, the three of us, the, the current two hosts on Bad Christian, Matt and Toby and myself, he says, whether you know it or not, you guys helped me find freedom from trying to be what Christian culture wanted me to be. Love you, bro. I really like that text because I feel like there's some kindred spirits between Jared and I we represent, you know, there's a, there's a group of misfits on this earth that despite the shallowness of a relationship, for some reason, you just kind of feel warm and fuzzy and close to someone. I mean, the dude told me that he loved me and I completely can relate to that. Sometimes it gets me in trouble, but I guess I kind of I kind of like it. I would say that Jared Wilson taught me something as well and this reflects very poorly on my character and the person that I am is seeing Jared Wilson before meeting him. I certainly wrote him off as someone that I would probably never want to hang out with, probably a good bit fake and just someone that lacked a lot of depth and he was not any of those things. He actually was a very real person. I think he struggled with fakeness just like all of us, but the dude was very genuine, very sincere, and honestly turned out to be someone that I would hang out with. So mental illness, I want to say, is is many things, very complicated. Not all peoples are the same, but I would say oftentimes, especially at its very deepest, darkest level, it make no mistake about it, it's something that happens to a person. I'll never forget when Rick Warren talked about his son, who he lost to suicide, and he, he said, make no mistake about it, I have money and I could afford the best psychiatry, the best therapists, the best medication. 
we did all of that. We did everything we possibly could, and they still lost their son to suicide. With what my wife and I experienced through my trying time last year, one thing that was kind of a flip that was switched in us, or a switch that was flipped, <laughs> we're determined to destigmatize the hell out of this thing because the reality of this sickness is not something we'll ever minimize nor be able to forget the profound mark it made on our lives. You know, when someone takes his or her life, I, I actually remember finding out about Jared. I was actually in the middle of my pain and, and struggles heading into little did I know the absolute darkest times of my life. And it was the first time that I had ever heard about someone's suicide. And I thought to myself, that doesn't puzzle me one bit. I completely understand, which is a scary thing to say, but it was the very first time where it made perfect sense. I was thinking about when someone takes their life, it's hard not to always conceptualize that person as one when you think about him or her full of pain, misery, and hopelessness. Well, this is a bittersweet episode, a lot of sweetness to it because it reflects none of that. I'd like to think that this may be how Jared sounds in heaven right now, but probably even more joyful. It was an honor to spend this time with him, and I'd like to definitely say our thoughts and prayers are still with his wife and kids, family, and friends. And honestly, you that are listening right now that are into prayer or good thoughts or good vibes or whatever, uh, maybe shout out a couple of those. You can do it silently, too. You don't have to necessarily shout. Thank you, guys. And I'm handing the keys over to my friend Jared Wilson, and uh, I have given him free reign to poke and prod and ask questions and just get to the dirty stuff about depression. Now, Priscilla, do you give him that permission? Sure. We do this kind of stuff in front of our small group all the time. That's totally fine. Well, Jared, Jared. welcome to the show, and my friend, take over. I'm, I'm excited you guys uh, have invited me. The tables have turned, my friend. The tables have turned. <laughs> I'm excited to be on this side for once. It'll be fun. Uh, now, all in love, though. I'm excited to be with you guys. I think uh, this conversation is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so, man, I'm pumped for your new book, Fundamentalist, yeah. um, which you've sent me uh, and I've read through. And I can tell you right off the bat, man, one of the things that you and I have talked about this in previous podcast uh, episodes that honesty and transparency is something that I've learned greatly over the last, you know, let's say span of three years, but in the long term, you know, three to five years, that transparency and honesty, um, this idea of authenticity, even though it's a cliche and it's being used a lot, it's a, it's a popular term, authenticity, um, unless it is fully embraced, it's not actually transparency or authenticity or honesty. And so, 
I tell a lot of people, I'm like, hey, if you're going to be transparent, you're either 100% transparent or it's not transparency. (laughs) You're either 100% authentic or it's not authenticity. You're either 100% honest or it's not honesty. And I think a lot of times we think if we could just give people uh, a little look into our life, uh, you know, that's good enough. But the reality is that our world right now is hurting so much for authenticity and this real raw um, I guess, example of individual lives. And so I appreciate uh, your authenticity and honesty throughout this book. I think it's refreshing. I think it's something a lot of people uh, are going to need to read. They need to hear it. Uh, And I'm excited for the release of it, my friend, because I feel like it is going to change the lives of a lot of people, especially as it pertains to the stigma surrounding mental health, which leads me to my first question that I have uh, for you, Joey. Uh, mental health, the stigma that surrounds it as it pertains to, let's just say faith in general, obviously Christianity, but faith in the church. Why do you think there is still such a stigma today and do you find it getting any better? Yeah. Well, there's, I would say there's many ways of tackling this question, but the most important angle is the reason why there's so much of a stigma is because the people that are suffering with mental health, they're not talking and they're embarrassed to talk about it. And sure, it it is kind of a cycle because they're embarrassed because there's a stigma, but there's a stigma because they're embarrassed. Yeah. So it's one of those things to where if the people that are uh, cuckoo like Joey Svensson, if they don't start talking because, you know, the talking has to start from a place where, hey, my mind is not functioning well, and it that's because my brain isn't functioning well. It's like an organ. It's a, it's a collection of cells that make tissues, and the tissues make an organ, and it's malfunctioning. And the brain helps you think and process the world. So if the brain's malfunctioning, you're not thinking right, and there's yeah. nothing to be embarrassed about. Um, but bottom line is we are embarrassed. We don't want to talk about it. So, yeah, I think that the stigma, we have to own that as, as mentally ill folks. So when it comes to the, the, the person who should be taking the lead, and I, I already know your answer to this because I think it's the same answer as mine, who do you think should take the first lead? Should the individuals admitting that they need help and they're hurting be the first people to admit um, that hurt and pain is going on? Or should the leaders, we'll call it, from the side of faith and church be the, the leaders to step out and say, hey, this is a place where you can be open um, or do you think it's a combination of both? I mean, how, who needs to step up first to make this better? Huh. That's interesting. What do you think? <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of have an answer, but I'm curious what you think before I answer. Yeah, I guess um, my first reaction would be both, but I think because there is such a stigma, um, if I really think about it, I guess I think our leaders, I think people that need to be setting an example need yeah. to make it safe, a safe place for people to feel like they're normal to be able to do it. So. But yeah, and here's the irony, Jared, is that a lot of those leaders are struggling with mental illness. <laughs> so exactly. it, it, it's a little <laughs> bit of both because the leaders need to be talking about it, but it's, it's themselves that they need to be talking about. Yeah, and and I think the reality is is I I can say the church because coming from a background of pastoral ministry, same as you, there's been a lot of things that 
um, even when I got into ministry early on, I was told, you know, not to say from the pulpit, we don't talk about this yet. And a lot of that I bought into. And so I can say that from the background or perspective of the church, I do believe, like you guys said, it's the church's job because of the mistakes that we've made for so long about not talking about it, which has created this stigma in general. I really do believe church leaders uh, and speakers and authors and anyone else who is a voice in uh, Christianity should be leading out and saying, listen, it's okay to talk about this. Uh, It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be hurting. And then like you said, and follow it up with, if if it's true, because I am too. Right, right. Right. And you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say the only thing I would tag on to that is, and this is probably what you're alluding to too, Jared, is... I feel like if we do talk about it, it's like something in the past and it's been overcome. And I think when people actually say they're struggling with it right now and that like, that's just the power of the, of Jesus, Holy spirit, whatever that's helping them get through each day, but they don't have it all figured out as I think where there's real traction for other people to step forward because they don't feel like they have to have it as they've already solved it. They can be where they're at right now and be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And unfortunately, you know, we're talking about the church's responsibility to to be more open about mental health, but there's some churches, their first step is to admit that it's even an issue because there's yeah. a lot of churches that practice the sort of, wait a second, you just need to be positive with Jesus, claim scriptures, you know, run with Jesus's promises because, you know... They see any sort of battle in your mind, they see it as something that you should be able to overcome because they can't they can't grasp the concept of the brain being a physical organ that malfunctions. Wait, that's not what your book's about? Your not your book is that's not what it's about? I'm confused. I think I might have read the wrong book then. <laughs> no, I think one of the things that I've realized is um Priscilla, one of the things that you said that was really powerful, someone commented on a, on a, one of my blog posts today and said, um, said, Jared, I can't remember the exact phrasing. I wish I would have brought it up before I got on with you guys. Something along the lines of, Jared, do you remember the exact moment when God freed you from my de- from your depression? Uh, thank you. Thank you for responding to me in, uh, you know, ahead of time. And I responded back to them and I said, hey, uh, Sorry if, you know, I've led you to believe this, but, you know, if you look back at all my my posts and everything that I've talked about, um, I haven't said that I've actually been freed from depression. I can say that God has given me the strength and wisdom and knowledge to say, listen, I can choose to rise above it each and every day, that God's with me each and every day I wake up, I can lean on him for guidance and, and wisdom, but I can't honestly say that I'm free from depression, nor can I say, man, one day I... I will be. I mean, right. I, I just don't know. And I'm not saying that. to. It's not that I have a lack in, uh, of faith in Jesus. I believe Jesus with all my heart. I, uh, but I can't say that I don't I can't play God and say that God is going to free me from this, because the reality is, is that, dude, my testimony is a lot stronger when I'm dealing with the same thing a lot of these people are going through. And I mean, it's kind of weird hearing me say that out loud for the first time. I've never actually said that sentence, but um, I think a lot of people, like you said, are looking for this prayer, or if you have enough faith, um, you will be freed. But then the opposite result is, well, if you're not freed from depression, then that means you didn't have enough faith, which means that your faith is work-based, which is just a whole mess, and it 
it's just a rabbit trail mm -hmm. that I hate going down. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that's part of the stigma as well is this idea that if you just have enough faith or you just pray hard enough, um, your depression, your anxiety, your PTSD, your, uh, bipolar, your eating disorder, your addiction, whatever it may be, uh, will be, will be wiped away clean. And for some people, dude, I know you'd agree with me for some people that is the case right. I, that I have no problem admitting if a girl or guy came up to me and said, Jared, I dealt with this for 12 years of my life. It, it pained me. It burdened me. And one night I had a conversation with Jesus and it was life altering. And I've been freed from depression and I am now living life without antidepressants, antidepressants or my anxiety medicine. And I'm fully walking in the power of God, you know, and going on and going on. Right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you're lying. I would yeah. say that's awesome, bro. Yeah. But that's not always the case right well and what i would i would say to that is this is going to sound super jerky of me but i would immediately be like when did that happen because if that <laughs> happened a week ago i'm a little yeah. nervous for you yeah you know yeah what i mean yeah like, I, I, I agree i like i agree that there are miracles and i also think the com the complete story is i have met a lot of people that they're just they just have had this so ingrained in their mind that they're overcomers with Christ and this isn't something that should defeat them and they get off of antidepressants and they're like like Priscilla said there's like that newness of yeah everything is okay you talk to that person in 2 months and they're they're back in the thick of things so yes i agree with what you're saying Jared and i think that people need to be uh, have a healthy skepticism uh, of like this drive for for Jesus to heal them, if that makes sense. I don't know <laughs> if it Well, does. or just, I think that healing can happen, but it might not look the way they're envisioning yes. it. Yes. Like we just want relief from any pain in this world. Right. And sometimes we just have it. Right. And so I think, it doesn't mean we don't ask for healing, but I just yeah. also think it can always look different for everyone. Yeah. I hope I don't, I've, I don't really want to hijack the thing because I feel like maybe you might get into it. But are you going to share your story a little bit? Because yeah, shame, yeah. I mean, like shame on Joey. I don't know everything. So. <laughs> like, no, I, I feel like I want to know. Like I want to get to know you a little bit. So no, I can get into it. To it definitely a little bit for you know the time that we have. One one of the statements I was going to follow up with is an old you know pastoral saying. It I'm sure has been around forever. It's this idea of. Uh, uh, I know that God can, I trust that he can, but I'll follow him even if he doesn't yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So it's like, I, I trust that God can heal me from enter whatever you want here. Um, I know he has the power to heal me from enter whatever you want here, uh, but I will choose to follow him even if he doesn't because I, you know, I follow that God, that's part of God's will and God's plan. So that's something that's always been ingrained in the back of my head that yeah. uh, made a lot more sense yeah, um, totally. when I started having some you know, personal experiences in my life as it pertained to that statement. But yeah, I mean, my story, it, I mean, it's actually, it's really similar to Joey's in a sense where I grew up in a, and I mean this with all my heart, a beautiful, loving Christian family. Um, my family was incredible. My parents were encouraging and supportive just about everything I did, everything from wanting to be a professional soccer player to wanting to be in a band. So my dad bought me a 12 foot by 12 foot shed that we converted into a soundproof studio in my backyard so my high school band could play. Yeah. Can you do that uh, for William, Joey? Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> yeah, it's just, well, it's, it was because my dad didn't want to hear us anymore, but uh, <laughs> it was, awesome. he, he was sick of it. You guys totally suck, man. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. I'll show you some later. Um, 
but I grew up in this incredible loving family that it truly did uh, resemble a family seeking after the love and grace of God. And so it was Bible study on Wednesday, church on Sunday, yeah. um, memorize a Bible verse throughout the week and get an extra $10 in your allowance. And it was, uh, you know, <laughs> shop at Christian bookstores and uh, you're not allowed to listen to Blink-182, but you can listen to MXPX. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you have brothers. Joe's hey. brother's name is Jared. Oh my gosh! Hey, hey, hey do, do you remember? Do you remember the list that they had in Family Christian Store where if you liked a secular yes, band, they had the Christian you. counterpart? Okay, dude, wow. I went in. So there's a store called Bereans Bur- Bookstore in California, and it was like for fans of Blink 182, and it's you will like Sidewalk Slam, <laughs> Slick Shoes, MXPX. Yep. Uh, and the list goes down, and I remember uh, I was, you know, I was still, I didn't know what I know now, right. and I didn't know, yeah. Anyways, so <laughs> my parents, I grew up in that man, going to youth group, and then came this time in high school where I really started to kind of, I don't know, question a lot of things, and church and youth group became just this mundane and boring, lame thing that wasn't real to me. It wasn't authentic. It was just some guy running around on a stage yelling, and there was pizza and games, and that's not the case for everybody. I'm just telling you where I was, right. and I and I called the BS right away, and I said, I can't relate to this. I want to talk about real things. I'm hurting. I'm broken. I have questions about God, and none of them were answered. That was my story. It's not for everybody else. And so sophomore year in high school, going into my junior year, uh, had planned on playing professional soccer, obviously going to college first. Um, We had some college scouts coming to our games. It was really exciting. And then I snapped my ankle at a club tournament in Arizona and woke up two hours later with a doctor and my dad crying over me saying, hey, you're about 30 minutes from getting your leg amputated. You probably want to start praying. Oh, my God. And so in that moment, I became so angry and mad and frustrated and, and, and ticked off at God because I was blaming him for what was happening because yeah. soccer was, that was my thing. It, I was Jared, the long haired kid who played soccer. Yeah. I mean, that was me. And so when that was taken away from me and then I'm told, hey, you might get your leg amputated. You better start praying. I just had this anger within me that I directly pointed at God. And obviously, you know, you know this, but for anyone listening, if you look up um, how depression can come into somebody's life, number one, it could be something that's hereditary through your family or can come from a traumatic event. And so traumatic event is what sparked my depression this broken leg, which turned into not getting my leg amputated. Thank God. Um, I lost everything though. I couldn't play sports anymore. I, none of my friends were the same cause I wasn't hanging out with those people anymore. Everything about my identity was completely gone. Yeah. And that yeah. started this, this eight year trajectory of going downhill and basically getting into the thickness of darkness. It just became thicker and thicker and thicker until I found myself, um, and we've talked about this, I think, on the on one of the last podcast episodes we've done together, Googling painless ways to commit suicide in my little forerunner, yeah. um, you know, on the top of some cliff over by uh, where I lived in Southern California. And man, it just it just rocked me. And that's young to 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 have everything stripped away. That's a very young age. Yeah, you that's know? tough. And I think for a lot of people, they go, "Oh, you're just," you, but you were so young, man. I'm like, "Yeah, I was so young, but my my plans and my vision, I had it, I had it set in stone right. what I wanted to." do. I wanted to play college ball. Um, I wasn't good enough to play European soccer because those guys are just beastly. They're incredible. But I was probably good enough 
to play semi-pro or pro and and play for a little while and it was just stripped away from me so I had to kind of relearn who I was and obviously I had to refine my foundation and being in God and not everything else that I was doing um but it took me and this sounds cliche but it took me really hitting my darkest point and crying and wanting to end my own life that I just had these real conversations with God where I'm yelling and cussing and screaming and and cursing at him for everything that I was saying he did to me and I just I just remember this conversation where I said, God, I do not want to feel like this anymore. And I remember, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying it was like written on the, on the dust of my window or it wasn't anything crazy like that. I just remember God kind of telling me in my head, Jared, I don't want you to feel like this anymore either. And it was kind of like this duh statement where I was kind of, and it wasn't immediate. I wasn't, my life wasn't changed then completely, but it was this awakening moment where I was like, dang, you're right. Yeah, I, that you're right. And I started remembering everything I've learned in church and in, in, in youth group as much as I didn't like it at the time. And just this reality that, man, God doesn't want me to feel like this. And there is a better life for me. And I can have the strength to choose to rise above this and someone to lean on and to guide me through this life of depression and anxiety. And so that began what it has now been, you know, 2007, I got baptized, um, you know, a, a nine year journey of still battling depression, but knowing that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And that's that hope I continue to chase after, which is God. So, uh, that's, that's my story condensed into a a very tiny ball. Um, but, but it's, I mean, it it was real, man. It, it, It was dark. It's, it's painful. And, uh, you know, everyone's depression is different. Everyone's darkness is different, but that doesn't mean, uh, everyone's darkness is different. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're all not hard right. places to be in. So yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. I, when I hear someone, uh, as a matter of fact, today there's a there's a lady at our church that struggled to the point where she had to be taken to a specialist <clears throat> out of state, like it was just at a such such a deep level, and yeah. uh, she she came back. She felt like she had a fresh start. And now she's just downward spiraling again. And it, it, it really, it's one of those things like I, I can sometimes like, uh, I, I, I have somewhat of a pastoral edge of me, but there's sometimes where I can't slow down enough to find empathy because there's just so much hurt. And I'm just like, oh, it's so overwhelming. But man, when someone yeah. talks about depression, it's just like, I'm just right there with them. I'm like, oh, that's, uh, it's just so painful. I mean, it's just, I, I, I'm just right there with them. Yeah. yeah. One, one of the things I was thinking of when you were telling your story is I was never some sort of ridiculous athlete. Like you were, you, you were. Just go ahead. <laughs> definitely wasn't. Offensive but. lineman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why would you choose that of all the, um, so. You're saying. <laughs> I know, like, you call me humongous. You lost a lot of weight. You're hot now. I mean. So I'm. I was never an athlete like that. And I have a friend um, and she was telling me how much she loved gymnastics growing up and she just lived in the gym. So her only friends were in the gym and she had a pretty bad injury herself. And I think that was a very dark time for her as well, because I mean, you think about just how important those years are in your life. You're kind of finding yourself and yeah. you have so much that's the those are the years when you feel invincible and you think you can do anything and you go for your dreams and so i think sometimes when a dream is taken away from us we're a little bit older and we've already dealt with some disappointment it's almost like you have some tools to deal with it but i feel like 
when you're at that age, you're at the peak of optimistic. The world is your oyster. Yeah, like I can you, do anything. you really can dream and yeah. do anything. And <laughs> to have that taken away like that is totally devastating. I just can't even imagine yeah. going through that. I don't know. She, she kind of mentioned the same thing and had to kind of refine herself because the path that she was on in gymnastics was not the same after her injury either. So, so no. how old were you? Uh, and then how long was it before? So you said 2007, what year was the year that you almost had your leg taken away? So I was, uh, I, I think I was 15 and I was 19, if that's correct, or 20 when I, that moment I was sitting in my car. Um, and, uh, so it was a, it was a four, it was a dark four years, man. I, uh, I hit it. I hit it really well. People from the outside looking in would have had no clue. Um, I just went to school, did my thing, barely graduated. Cause I just didn't care. Um, still hung out with people every once in a while. Um, I remember like having girlfriends and I would just lie and say, Hey, I, I can't go on our date tonight to the movies. Cause I'm my I don't know. I'd make something up. My yeah. parents said I'm, I'm in trouble because of grades. <laughs> Little did they know my parents were didn't, you know, that wasn't the case at all. I was just at home because I didn't want to go out. Yeah. Um, See, and so it. I hit. Go yeah, ahead. go for it. Well, I was just going to say that's interesting because I would imagine what, how you're describing your high school years. I would imagine that yours were more painful and you are. Uh, it just shows how different people's suffering is because you are aware that you were depressed because there was something specific that had you drained. I was yeah. depressed in high school, and I didn't even know it. I seriously, <laughs> it was like uh, how I describe it. It was like a fish that was born on shore. It doesn't know any better. It's just like, well, I guess this is life. I can't really get a whole lot of breathing in there and doesn't feel like I can do a whole lot, but I guess this is how everybody feels. And yeah. So in high school, I literally did not know that I was depressed, and I was just it was just such painful misery all the time i was like i guess it's maybe everybody feels kind of like this yeah yeah did you did you go to college yeah so right out of high school i i think i went to like a community college for like i don't know two you months so? what were you like, i think i did yeah i just <laughs> dude it was it was all a blur bro um <laughs> I was like, I say I think because I, I know I went, but it was like off and on for yeah. like a couple months. And then I, I took like photography and like, I don't know, there's, there's like an elective bowling or something. I don't know. Like <laughs> my dad just said, go to school. You have to go to school or you, you know, you're, my dad was obviously did this in a loving way. If you're not going to school, you got to pay rent. I'm like, all right, I'll go to school and I'll take photography and right. bowling. Um, anyways. Uh, did that for off and on for like, I don't know, a year and then took a complete step back. It wasn't until um, I would say that I officially gave my life to Christ, God save me, whatever side of the coin you're on, that the idea of going back to school and getting a degree started to be ingrained in my head as a good thing, not from other people, but for myself. And so I, uh, I couldn't necessarily afford college right off the bat. So I started interning at a lot of churches. Uh, got a small scholarship, went to a Bible college for a year, um, then couldn't afford it anymore. So I took a step back, got more experience. And then over the last, um, how, how many years has it been now? Three years, 
Um, on top of the experience that I've had, I'm finishing up my biblical studies and theology through Liberty University, um, through their online program. Um, so when I couldn't afford school, I said, well, Hey, I'll get experience. Um, so I was getting experience and a lot of my friends who went to school first came out of college, like, all right, I'm ready to get a job. And all these people are like, but you don't have any experience, so we can't hire you. (laughs) So we're hiring that guy. So we're going to hire that guy. Um, (laughs) Dude, so, I just I just want to tip my hat to you, just super casually and just right in the flow of conversation, you included all the Calvinists and all the Arminians. You were just like, yeah. I gave my heart to Christ, or he saved me, whatever side of the Never you're on, man. All the Calvinists were like, yeah, man, he's an includer, baby. Because <laughs> it's, it's, I think that's one of the, I don't even want, yeah, we can get into that in another conversation, uh-huh. but I'm just that. whatever side of the coin you're on, that's what happens. <laughs> so, um. So yeah, I mean, I've got uh, I've got officially seven classes left until nice. uh, I'm officially done. Uh, obviously, God's opened doors for me to do what I'm want to do, anyways. But uh, I want to finish that, uh, and I plan on then pursuing following it up with a master's in psychology and Christian counseling. Awesome. Uh, so just because of I feel like the work and the direction God's leading me now. So, um, anyways, enough about me. I got a question for you guys. Yeah. Come on, this is this is about you. Uh, <laughs> This is for Priscilla, and my wife and I have actually had some of these conversations before, um, and please, I don't mean to come off harsh, but I just, you know, I want to I peel back some layers. Have you ever had, and maybe regrets is the wrong word, I'll use regrets instead, um, have you ever had any regrets um, in marrying Joey because of the depression, and, and have you ever thought of leaving? Has it ever become too hard? Oh, that's a good question. Um you know what's, I hope this, this is going to be a roundabout way to answer it, but I would say I remember, I'm not going to go into the story of how we met and finally got together because it's just too long, but I do remember. Jared, that's when you say, hey, thanks. I, I do remember, <laughs> I remember hey, him, um, telling me that he deals with depression. I remember him telling me that when we were on again, off again dating and I remember talking to my parents about it kind of, this is going to sound really lame of me, but the, like the pros and cons of what that would look like to be with Joey. And dealing they with put you on a whiteboard and they said, yeah, Pro. yeah, I just did that. No, I didn't do that. But I just remember a conversation <laughs> in my parents' kitchen and my mom finally got to the point of like, it's, you know, I don't really know what to tell you. It was kind of left to me. Like it wasn't a black and white decision. It's just something you, you either, you know, if you want to be with him or not. And, um, you're like those sideburns. I mean, they're just irresistible. Uh, (laughs) So I, I just remember having that moment of decision and it wasn't even him asking me to marry him. It was a moment of decision of like, do I move forward in a relationship with him for real? Cause we were on and off for a while. And, um, so anyways, I made that decision and then I will say probably, I don't know if it was three years ago, sometime. I, I don't know. I would say in the past three years, I feel like personally have been the hardest for me. And um, it did get to the point where I didn't feel like I wanted a divorce. Like, like I remember when Joey and I were engaged or even dating, I told him divorce is just not even an option for me. My parents divorced. Mm-hmm. It's just a painful thing. I just So that's partly why I was so afraid of marriage in the first place. I felt like I know marriage is hard. So once I'm in it, I'm in it forever. So I wasn't in a hurry to get into it. You know what I mean? And so, um, 
anyways, long story short, I will say, I think I had probably a season of time where it was pretty hard. I didn't know if I could do it anymore. So that's the honest answer. Do you think the initial, and you did mention like moving out temporarily. Yeah. yeah, I think what's funny now, like you're still part of this conversation, Jared, but I'm looking at Joey, like what's funny about this conversation (laughs) (laughs) What's funny about that is you and I talked about that recently and you said you didn't even remember that I said that to you. And that's actually like, was a super scary night for me because I was like, I'm going to tell Joey that unless he seeks after help, like it's everything in his life. Like he has nothing else to do but to get better. Was Clemson playing? I I wanted to take our kids and live with my parents until he could figure it out. I know that sounds so jerky me to say, because I under, I don't understand depression as far as I deal with depression myself, but um, I do understand that it's not just something he snaps out of. I knew that, but it just, it really did get super, super lonely super low just i couldn't i just yeah. didn't have any more reserve to deal anymore and i don't know if i did a good job with this or not jared but part of part of the agenda like i i have some hidden agendas in my book it's not just entertaining stories of mm-hmm. uh, a psychopath but like one of my agendas is is honestly to speak for people that live with folks that are depressed because I feel like Priscilla and I have had an open enough dialogue through the years where it's just like I can really hear where she's coming from. And we had an experience one time. We have like a uh, a house church on Sunday nights, and uh, we were all kind of sh- sharing our stories. Like we went through, we had one night where two people shared their story, and one of them was me, and I was sharing about my depression. And, um, you know, Priscilla was kind of chiming in and basically saying how, you know, saying some really hardcore stuff about how she got to a point where she's just like, I don't know if I can do it anymore. This is just too much. And people, all the sympathy was for me. Like everybody was like, man, that must have been hard for Joey to hear that from his wife. Wow. You know, and maybe some people are thinking, gosh, I mean, doesn't she know that he's struggling with depression? And I think, honestly, there's a lot of people that that go that route. You know, you have some people that don't slow down enough to realize how hard depression is. But then you have some people that are just, they don't even think about the spouse. Yeah, no, totally. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that my wife and I going into marriage, uh, I was open about it with her right off the bat. I was like, man, this is who I am. This is my past. These are things I've dealt with. And basically her response was, okay, I don't, I don't, I've never dealt with that. So I don't get it, but I'm going to be here for you as much as I can as we kind of journey through this thing together. And I think that's, um, you know, there's only so much you can do going into a marriage. And if if you've never struggled with it, there's only so much you can do researching online and getting wisdom from others. I mean, every circumstance is different. Every relationship was different. So I'm sure that you guys had to learn how to do things. uh, And I'm sure you do do things differently. And I'll get to a question pertaining to this, you know, in just a minute. I'm sure there's things that you guys have learned to do differently than others that help balance the situation um, and and things that you guys have been able to do that help work out certain situations because your circumstance is different because you've dealt with something that she hasn't before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. are you going to ask me if I ever left her or if I ever thought about leaving her because of her bullshit? I mean, there's stuff <laughs> that she does, man. Well, have you? Yeah, exactly. When I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm mean when I'm pregnant. 
What were you going to say? Um, Microphone. No, well, no, the only other thing I was going to say is um, sometimes I hear myself, like you asked that question, and I think both Joey and I are kind of this way. It's just it's such a belief system of ours. It's so important to us to be so open. I think sometimes... I think sometimes I feel a little burned by it or maybe even misunderstood, but I also almost feel like it's just worth it. Like our life is too short to yeah. pretend something different. And, you know, if I could let my pride get in the way a little bit, I'll like after a conversation like this, I'll tell Joey, I'm like, but do you remember all those years? I was so positive and I was so there and I was so yeah. whatever, because we're coming out of the last three years that were super hard. And I just almost <laughs> felt like I was losing myself too. Before, but I'm like, remember me before how awesome of a wife I was? Like, I kind of almost wanted to remember, like, remind him that I wasn't so negative. I wasn't so defeated. Um, And that's just, I guess, my pride, too. But in the latter days, she wore a shirt around the house that said, F you and your depression. Have you have you desi- have you designed that shirt yet? That'd be awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's in the password no answers merch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny. One of the things that you said that I wonder now would be different, or if this actually continues the conversation of the idea of the stigma behind depression. Um, and please, this is not a, a judgment to you at all. Uh, the fact that you talk to your parents about, hey, this guy's depression. What do you think about this? You know. Whereas I wonder oh, totally. if if now. Um, or maybe two years down the road, if you guys would have remet and this conversation was happening now, uh, the stigma is still there, still there, but it's a lot better than it was. I wonder if you would even think about having that conversation. Um, I don't know, just the fact that you had that conversation intrigues me. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it, I mean, it's, I'm glad you talked to your family about it. It just intrigued me, uh, that that was something I never would have thought being on the other side, that that was something someone would go ask um, as it pertains to like the pros and the cons, but mind you, I've never been on that side before and, and, yeah. and been with somebody, um, you know, I've never not dealt with it and been with someone who has dealt with it where I've had to ask that question. So that just, that just really intrigued me. Um, yeah. Yeah, that is have you ever, yeah. yeah. Have you ever felt like thoughts towards God kind of like, this isn't fair? Like why, why did you give me the task of, <laughs> of dealing with him? <laughs> you know what? You just made me feel good about myself because, no, I didn't think that. I have thought, um, I have been really angry that Joey has to deal with the depth of depression he's had to deal with. I have felt that that's been very unfair. Yeah. Like, kind of ticked about it. Well, and who I, are you ticked at then? You can't, are you, are you just mad in general or are you mad at God? Yeah, probably mad at God. Okay. I, and partly the reason is, is I spent so many years praying for our miracle, I call it ours because I was praying for your healing. Yeah. And to pray that long and for then to take, like I felt in the beginning of our marriage was actually pretty tough because your depression kind of just settled in right after we got <coughs> married. And um, whatever, I don't have to tell this whole story, but you ended up just getting on Zoloft and it got better and it was an answer to prayer to me. I didn't care if it was medicine or not medicine. I was like, praise the Lord. I have my Joey back. And so, um, give me my Joey back. (laughs) And so then, um, you know, we go almost 10 years later and you take a huge nosedive and thinking maybe after a year, you'll start coming back out. And it 
it just kept feeling worse and I kept praying and they're just, I kept trying, I'm a problem solver, so I'm trying to problem solve. I'm yeah. praying. <coughs> I'm asking like, you know, our pastors to pray. I'm like, I'm doing whatever I possibly can. Med- medicine, no medicine, whatever it is. And I, I just was pissed. I'm like, this is so unfair. It just, it just felt unfair. So no, I didn't feel like it was unfair that God gave me Joey. I felt like it was unfair God gave Joey that depression. Here's what's interesting is your, you know, the love language is your quality time and you're also very extroverted. So Jared, what do you think about this? What if she was introverted and your love language was gift giving? And what if I just came home really depressed every night, but I just put a gift on your lap <laughs> and, and then she just went to bed? You'd probably be like, eh, isn't that bad? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Jared, help. help I don't. The next question. <laughs> I don't think you're, you. I'll back you up on this. I don't think you'd respond that way. So, I think I think you love I think you love him more than that. So, yes, I love Joey. Jeez. Um, Present. It, okay, cool. Here, here's something that actually, well, back you know, back to that what we just talked about. You know, my uh, um, my wife is always continuous, continuously supportive of me and what I'm going through and is always constantly saying like, Hey, are you okay today? Life good, everything good. And, um, you know, there's, there's days that are hard. There's days that are really hard. There's days that are not hard at all. There's days that are awesome. And like this freedom to always be on the lookout for like, Hey, how are you doing today? You know, is life good? Everything okay? Hey, I love you, you know? And so, um, that's something, you know, that I feel like, anybody in a relationship with someone who's ever dealt with depression or currently is or whatever it may be, I feel like you, you, I don't feel like I know you have to have that open conversation because it can't just be like, you can't compartmentalize it and say, well, the husband, if it's the husband or the wife, well, I'll let them deal with their depression thing. And then I will just be over here when they're ready to talk. I think a lot of times, and I give my wife freedom to do this and she does it because she loves me. She's got to pry things out of me sometimes because I won't talk about it. Um, one of the things that, has recently happened to me that I've been really open about is my, um, my parents recently got a divorce and I came from the past of perfect Christian life. You know, I mean, if, if Lifeway, uh, could birth two people, it would be my mom, my dad, and, and that would be the marriage that would represent Lifeway. Um, and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, and so over the last three years, I've dealt with a couple deaths in my family, um, you know, my mom going to rehab, um, my parents getting a divorce. And so this was whole, a whole new experience for me that I've never had to deal with. And so um, it was I was glad that I had those initial conversations with my wife, because in some really hard times, you know, in the last three years that I've been dealing with kind of internalizing all this stuff with my family, you know, my, I've given my wife that freedom to really pry at me and say, no, dude, you need to talk to me. Like, tell me what's going on. Are you mad at this? Are you mad at this? How can I be here for you? And so I feel like the fact that what you guys are doing right now is something that more married couples need to do as it pertains to depression or anxiety, being within a marriage in a, in one spouse or, or both, um, having that open dialogue and just talking through the crap. I mean, you have to be able to talk about it. Um, I always tell people this, as I say, when you try to uh, when you try to hide all of your emotions, you don't want to talk about them. You internalize them. It's like putting a, a pack of Mentos in a two liter bottle of Coke. You're eventually going to explode and get everybody around you wet. I mean, you're going to jack up everybody in your path. And I 
And unless you talk about things, um, you are never going to uh, to find relief. And so I, I don't know. I just I love that you guys are having this conversation. Well, um, and and I appreciate you saying that. And I think the the deep, dirty, dark secret for at least us or for me is once I get to a certain level of depression, what you said is true but it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's so devastating to Priscilla is she's like, look, if you're depressed, that's one thing, but we've got to talk about this or I feel completely alone and alienated and I yeah. don't, and I don't have it in me. I mean, I seriously, I, it's, it's almost like, you know, I, I would put on the same level of someone who's paralyzed from the waist down and you're saying, get up and run around. I'm, it's just mm -hmm. like having those deeper conversations. So, yeah, I mean, um, I think for people that are maybe find themselves in that place, man, <laughs> you know, take advantage of your windows of when you're not depression and talk the hell out of it, I guess. Cause well, I will say one thing that, um, I mean, how long have we been married now? 14. Yeah, so 14 plus years together. And I still remind you sometimes that I literally just need you to tell me I'm having a hard day. Yeah. So just that basic communication of knowing today's not a normal day for me helps me function in my day. Cause then I'm not wondering if you're frustrated about something, if I've annoyed you, if I'm like, I'm not trying to problem solve it. I just know today's a hard day. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, for a while, Joey did not want to have to say that you used to get annoyed with me and say, well, duh, you should just know that. Right. And I was like, I'm sorry. I just need you to say it. It makes me feel like it's not me or it's not us, but it really is just depression settling in. And then somehow I have to know that to be able to, you know, interact with you a little differently yeah. that day. No, I think, and I think, you know, similar circumstances with my wife, you know, dude, my wife is a saint, man. And I'm not just saying that this girl like she comes, she'll come to me like, did I do something? Are you mad at me today? And in my head, I'm like, no, like she, she wouldn't hurt a fly. And I feel so bad. Cause I'm like, oh, I feel bad. I'm making her think she did something wrong. Um, yeah. uh, you see my, the way I internalize it, like, like you said, you kind of shut down. Mine comes from a pride aspect. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it because I can handle it and I don't want to burden you. Yeah. So I'll take care of it. And then once I've been figured it out, then I'll talk to you right. where she's going, no, dude, don't do that because that makes you mad. You don't actually internalize it. You just bottle it up and then you move forward. You've got to talk to me about right. it. And so that's something that my wife and I begin, uh, began to work through. I got, I got a, a question and this is obviously another big layer to peel back. Um, <clears throat> when anyone is struggling with depression, um, the, the word suicide is something that comes up a lot. Um, I recently did this QPR training that I found on this website. It was really rad. I think I paid like 30 bucks for it. It was a suicide prevention training program where I went through like these really old school videos, but the content was fine. The videos were just really old. Um, but basically the encouragement, and I didn't know this, uh, going into it, I did the training maybe six or seven months ago was you don't beat around the bush when it comes to asking someone if they're thinking about committing suicide or thinking about suicide, you straight up ask them, Hey dude, are you thinking about suicide? Right. I, I didn't know that. I thought, I thought you navigate slowly. <laughs> like, you know, you, you set it down slowly on a, a cloud of pillows, but all, everything I've read has said like, 
No, you straight up ask, yeah. are you thinking about suicide? And it's like, you hear that word. And if they're able to internalize and say, yes, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I've just, I've voiced that. If they say no, you know, you, you don't know if they're telling the truth or not, but it's one of those things that you ask. So Priscilla, have you ever struggled with thinking that Joey has would end his life, has, has thought about ending his life? Have you guys, do you guys have open communication to where if he feels like that, you can say, babe, I'm just like not having a good day today. Can you just be here with me? I mean, have you ever thought of that? No, I, I actually, um, the only time maybe I got a little worried, I feel, I can't remember what year it was or what it was, but we were at Folly Beach. We were staying at that beach house. And I feel like you were just gone for a while or something. So distant and you were gone for a while. Yeah. And I, I think I wasn't sure where you went. For some reason, I just had a yucky feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the only time. I ever wondered, but I will say, Jared, like as maybe the last few years, how sucky they've been and maybe how um, defeated I felt for the most part, I've always been a very optimistic. I tend to like see the glasses half full. <laughs> and so and sometimes I think maybe I'm even naive to stuff, I guess. So I, I really maybe it's just God protecting me from it. But like I just don't sit and worry that Joey would take his life. I just don't. I don't. There was just that one time that I f- did not feel great about where you were at. In and life. I think, and I think part of that is I've told you that I I have wanted to die before, but I've never contemplated suicide. And I wouldn't lie to you, so I think you can kind of trust that. Yeah. And one thing interesting, uh, Jared, is that I I actually there was a pastor here in Charleston that committed suicide, and me and one other pastor, but then a bunch of social workers went to kind of be with that congregation and I I sat there and learned so much and I had this huge revelation I came home and told Priscilla right away I was like you know I've always thought that I haven't been suicidal because of like my morality and that's not the right thing and sure if I want to die that's one thing but I would never I would never do that other people do that and and I realized through sitting there with those people and listening to the social workers that that's not the case. It hasn't been because I'm deciding not to. It's because my mind has never become at that le- It's never gotten to that level. And that was like a very stark revelation, like just very like unsettling. I was like, wait a second. It's not because I'm so determined not to. It's because I've never gotten to the point of actually considering doing that. Well, if you were capable of choosing how you'd feel, you wouldn't be dealing with depression in the first place. Yeah. 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 Which, which is something that, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize. I mean, I could, I don't, I don't want to, maybe this for another time, I don't want to go down the rabbit trail of, uh, of suicide and the reason it happens. And, but I think it's one of those things where for a lot of people, man, I would, I would it would be safe to say, and I would guess 95% of people who deal with severe depression have had a thought of, uh, the world would be better without me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A moment. They may have never planned it out or Googled painless ways to commit suicide. Like I find my, have found myself, I'm sorry, have found myself. Um, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a thought that goes through your head of like, well, I'm just a burden to everybody. It's, it's that, it's that the way that 
you, you could say the enemy lies to you and tricks you and deceives you. And so, um, well, no, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you answered that question because that's something that my wife and I have to talk about too. Um, mind you, when, uh, there was a few, a couple days ago where I ran out of, uh, my antidepressants and I'm very open about it. I take one a day, have for the last like six or seven years. Um, and I ran out and my psychiatrist is in Nashville and I have to schedule a meeting ahead of time. They're booked. So I had to, I went two days without anything. Um, and dude, I had these crazy night terrors oh. and I was sitting there and I, I was sleeping and all of a sudden I wake up and I'm, and I'm yelling and my wife wakes me up. She's like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, oh my gosh, I had this crazy nightmare. Well, I go back to sleep. It happens five more times. Like yeah. I'm out for an hour and I wake up yelling and I, and it was this, it was this crazy moment of like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize, um, and the way I felt, I mean, I just felt blah. Like yeah. I just didn't want to do anything. And, and mind you, a lot of that was, uh, the withdrawing of, of, the medication within my body and it, and my body freaking out going, wait, where's the stuff that we've had for a long time? Um, but anyways, it, it was an opportunity for my wife and I to have these conversations because it was like, Hey, why did you have the, why do you think you had those dreams? You know, why, why do you think you're groggy the last few days? You know, I could tell you were a little off. And so, um, the, the conversation of suicide, I think is something once again, not that I think, I know it has to happen. Right. Um, if anyone in a marriage is is dealing with severe depression, even postpartum depression, I've seen a lot of moms who have have written a lot about this, where they just felt like I I don't want to do this anymore. This kid's better off with another mom because I can't take care of him. Right. It's be, it would be better if I was gone. I mean, um, and I think admitting that you you have to admit those things in order for your spouse to be um, supportive for you. Yeah. If if you don't give them those if you don't give them that knowledge, you are setting them up for failure as your spouse to support you and encourage you because they don't know what they don't know. And if something were to happen, your spouse is like, well, I never knew because the dude didn't tell me. Right. And if I would have known, I could have maybe done something uh, to encourage or support. So, yeah. Right. And it's important for our listeners to hear what you just said, the the example that you gave of a mom actually saying, my kid's life would be better without me. There's not one mom in their right mind who really thinks that. Not one. Every no. mom would say, hey, it doesn't matter how jacked up I am, they're better off with their mom because there's no one that loves my kid like I do. So that has to open people's eyes to, you know, I, I get frustrated, honestly, when I hear, oh, suicide is such a selfish decision. And I realized going to that church and hearing those social workers, they were having to explain to the congregants because there were some people saying, I just feel like he's abandoned us and he turned his back on us. And they said, look, you've got to understand, he was convinced in his sick mind and not in a yeah. derogatory way that this was the only option, that there yeah. was nothing else he could do. And uh, yeah, but that... For someone who's never experienced those thoughts, there's no way you can relate to that. You just don't understand. Yeah, definitely. Do you guys have Do you guys have anything, um, any practices set up within your marriage, um, or your relationship, or even as it pertains to your kids? Um, any practices for when you're struggling and your wife can support you or encourage you? Like, do you have anything set up? Like, any I don't what other term you want to use? Guardrails or yeah. you know whatever. I think the only thing that I can think of right off the top of my head is Priscilla knows that I that I will fight and I will try to keep going and I'll try to have a good attitude and I'll try to be open. But if there are ever times when I really feel like I don't have any try in me, um, 
she can take it to the bank that it really is one of those deep, dark times where I just can't do anything. And yeah, yeah there's a pastor at our church, Chip Judd, that a lot of people have heard on this podcast that I think has helped both of us uh, be okay with that. You know, mm-hmm. there will be times that you just can't expect anything out of Joey. You know, yeah. and it, it it would be one thing if I always try to took advantage of that. And Is that during the Clemson games? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. That was just perfect. <laughs> one 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 loss, man, and yes. you're talking trash. <laughs> one loss. <laughs> I just can't do anything today. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, For at keep least going. four straight hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're still they're still going to the playoffs, man. So yeah, <laughs> uh, but. But yeah, it's just like that, um, you know, he gave us, I, I think, gave Priscilla permission to be okay with that and me oh, permission to not beat myself up about it. That there will be times where I simply have to retreat to my bed, lay down, give my mind a break, give everything a break. And uh, when, you know, uh, a good friend of ours passed away in a car wreck and that, that definitely, um, you know, aggravated is is uh doesn't even do it justice but it just magnified extremely my depression and uh this guy that we're talking about chip judd was my uh boss at the time and he pretty much said you are going to work 30 hours and you're going to get paid 40 hours he said now if if you're doing this this time in two months we'll probably need to talk about it and reevaluate but right now as your uh, as as your pastor and yeah, as, cool. as the organization that you're working for, we are Love telling that. you you have to take ten hours. And he said, whatever whatever feels like rest to you. If it's jogging, jog. If it's reading, read. If it's sleeping, sleep. If it's watching a movie, watch a daggum movie. But you have to take ten hours for yourself. And that was tough for me, man. I mean, it was tough for me to let myself do that. But I'm a rule follower. Like I I follow my leaders. So I was like, okay. That's what you're saying to do. I'll do it. <laughs> and you clocked That's your hours. Like he kept track of his <laughs> ten whole hours. I wish more churches would, you know, and maybe a lot are, but I wish more churches would follow suit with that because I think that's really cool, man. Yeah. Uh, man, that seriously, that actually, actually blew me away that he, they did that. That's I don't. Not that I. I mean, I don't. I don't know your church, so I'm not saying like right, right, because right. of who they are. That blew me away. Right. <laughs> but no, like that blows me in a way in a good way that someone would take that you know, they wouldn't worry about the hours and they wouldn't worry about the budget. And are we getting the most for our money that we're paying this guy? Like that is cool. Like caring about your heart and your soul. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's awesome. The whole reason Chip Judd was hired Yeah, is to help with that. Yeah. Yeah. We, there's definitely some pretty positive things about where we get to work as far as how they care for people. Yeah. For sure. It's unusual when you look in the ministry world. For sure. Yeah. Um, are you guys in, in being a parent now, like I said, I, I've got a, a 18 month old named Finch, who is just a riot, dude. I love him so much. His and name uh, is Finch? Finch, yeah, oh, not like really the cool. band, but if you want to go with it, that's fine. I think of a uh, bird. Isn't there? It, like, it, it is the bird, but I did like the band too growing up. So, uh, <laughs> um, so, and then our, our, we have another boy on the way literally in the next month. My wife is, my wife's like, can we just have this baby now? You know, she's just at that point, and I feel so bad because it's just, 
it's just hard for her to do anything because she's just so tired and the baby just takes so much, you know? And, uh, so I can't wait for our new little guy to come. So I'm going to be a dad of two within the next month. And one of the things that you and I have talked about, like I said before in previous podcasts was being a parent really changed me, dude. in in a lot of ways, um, I can't even explain or use the words to describe how, but it just did. Um, are you ever worried about your kids being depressed? And I, when I say depressed, I don't mean because the reality is my dad works for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, which is the if not one of is one of the if not the biggest pharmaceutical company in the world. My dad will be the first person to tell you that antidepressant antidepressants are overly prescribed to people. Right. Right. Hands down. He'll, he'll, he'll be the first to say that. Yeah. They are overly prescribed. Um, are you worried that your kids not will be sad sometimes, not will be say they're depressed, will actually be depressed and find depression in your life? Does that ever yeah. worry you? Yeah, me personally, just flat out yes, and and two of them. Like I, I feel like there's two of my kids, two out of the four, that have very similar thought patterns uh, very similar ways of approaching life that I did as a kid. And yeah, I, I'm actually, I would say if I thought about it a lot, I would get terrified. But I'm also one of those guys that it's just like, if it hasn't manifested, I almost, I can't even take myself to a place where I'm really worrying about it. Like there's been time, there's a couple times where uh, my whole family was worried about my dad having really bad cancer. And it was just like, I can't worry about it unless he really does have it. So there's yeah. a part of me that I just don't mess with it. But I think with your kids, it's a, I mean, obviously I love my dad, but with your kids, it's, that's a whole different animal. And if I, if I ever see them maybe kind of sad, like I, I, I'll ask questions like, you okay, Are you thinking about anything? And I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm kind of peppy, but I'm just like, you know, I, I want to know if there's anything deep down that they're struggling with. Yeah. Yeah, I will say um, you're doing so much better this year, but I would say even just last year, that thought would devastate you. Like it it would be something that would actually make you spiral down. If you saw our kid do something that alluded anywhere near something that seemed a little unusual, you would just take that in your mind and you would make it so much bigger and it would get you really down. And so... I don't feel like you do that anymore, but I definitely was a major kind of fear of yours. Yeah. And I will say for me, I do, it, it does concern me. And at the same time, I, I'm optimistic about the fact that we know so much about you and your journey. Yeah. And we know so much about already how you have been getting help last year and this year with even just cognitive therapy and stuff. So I feel hopeful that there's just certain things we can help our kids with just, just the patterns, the, the, the patterns that they create in their brains. I feel like we can help them with certain things. So if there's like a certain, I guess, way a ki- one of our kids want to react to a certain thing, I feel like we can help train their mind to think differently and go on a different path, you yeah. know, but I guess I'm just, that might be just maybe being really optimistic, but I feel like we can give our kids tools. I mean, my mom told me I would probably be diagnosed with ADD when I was little, but she never got me diagnosed. And I do feel like I have a hard time concentrating, but like I have figured out how to manage myself without having to take anything. And I'm not against medication, but I do feel like sometimes if we have some things we can try to yeah. overcome and train yeah, I can, a certain way. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, as far as, you know, I'll say my kids now, <clears throat> um, 
being a dad's made me super emotional, yeah, <laughs> like in a yeah. in a good way. Like I become a wuss in a lot of things. Like no joke, we can we can be going, uh, walking down the the aisle. My son is in the shopping cart, and some dude can walk by, and my little son will look at him with his long shaggy blonde hair and his big blue eyes and go hi. And if that guy doesn't wave back at him, <laughs> I can tell. I'm like wave back at my son. He's upset now because you wave back at him. And it's just. And my wife and I always get so sad. She's like, she's like, it always breaks me my heart when people don't wave back at him. I'm like, dude, mine too. I feel so bad. <laughs> so I already know that anytime, I mean, anytime my son is sad or, or, you know, something happens, he goes, oh no, I, I'm like, buddy, it's okay. It's okay. You know, I don't, I don't coddle him to where he's like, I'm carrying him in my arms everywhere I go. Like, I know there's things he's going to learn. He's going to fall. He's going to, you know, bump his head and I have to go, it's okay, buddy, you know, brush it off, you know, right. but there are times where I do, I, I feel, I hurt with him, you know? And I think, you know, my son, my, my sons, actually, if any of them were to deal with depression, um, and I don't say this lightly, it could come off wrong, but I do in a sense, praise God, you know, what a blessing that this is something I have gone through personally so that I can be the one teaching my son about a lot of this and helping him rather than just giving him to a system and, and allow them to try to work things out. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not going to be the guy that says, oh, my depression's a blessing. You know, I don't want to go that far. Right. Um, but I will say uh, it can be used as a blessing yeah. to help my son or my, you know, whatever, if I ever have more kids down the road, um, and your kids to say, you're the person that can speak hope into their life and say, Hey buddy, daddy's been through this too. Or Hey daughter, daddy's been th through this too. Um, you know, it's okay. You know, I love you. And I think that's such a beautiful image, especially as it pertains to, you know, us looking at God and saying, God, I need your help. You know, your kids looking at you, their dad saying, Hey, you know, daddy's been through this too. Um, and it, you know, it, it does worry me sometimes too. Um, like you though, my mind's not there yet. Right. Um, I'm just worried about getting poop on my hand when I change him. Oh. Cause I, it's like my, ask my wife, dude, it is my, that is my kryptonite. Yeah. It, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I will. She's like, you are a spaz when you change. <laughs> I'm like, I know I am. I, I, it freaks me out, man. Um, that's what I'm worried about right hey, now. Well, hey, uh, here, here's some some words uh, from the wise uh, seasoned <laughs> father. I have a you know a ten, eight, six, and four year old. You bring that up, man. When 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 your son is like seven or eight, and he's just like, I don't I don't want to go get you uh, some water. You like listen. <laughs> you know how many times I have wiped your butt. I've got poop <laughs> on my hands. I had to smell your dirty. It's so bad. Yeah. Say, get me <laughs> a water now. Redneck family right here. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> she might as well just say, give me a beer and open it for me right now. Those are my biggest worries right now is uh, <laughs> it's, it's him feeling sad when a stranger, complete stranger, mind you, not somebody we know, a complete stranger. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't wave doesn't back. Totally. <laughs> who do you think you are not waving back at my... Do you know who this kid is? He's right. my son. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's not something that... I haven't gone there yet. Yeah. But it's the back of my mind of... That would suck. Yeah. If he if, if if they did. And um, But at least I've been through this. So I can be there with them. Uh, if they ever need anything. They, feel, they can feel like they can go to dad. And I want to give them that opportunity. I want to create that aura um, that says they can come talk to dad. Yep. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I 
yeah, it's definitely not something I've, I haven't gone all the way there, but it's definitely something I've thought about every once in a while. Um, well, well, what sort of things would you guys say to people, both of you that live with somebody, uh, that deals with depression? I would say, so, so to the person that lives with someone with depression, um, gosh, I mean, I, I would say your pain is real. <laughs> you know, yeah. Your pain is definitely real, and you need to be understood. Like, people understanding you is just as important as people understanding the person, uh, you know, that you're living with. And, gosh, if you can find someone that you can have as a as a confidant that you can tell everything to, express your anger you know, and just spill your guts with, I think that would be a huge win. But yeah, it's, it's, it's no joke. It's no fun. Yeah. I think the thing I would say is, um, I think the mistake that I made is I didn't really have one person that I felt comfortable enough to share all of my feelings to when it came to my side of the pain of Joey's depression yeah. Because, um, you know, we're Joey and I both are pretty blessed with awesome parents and in-laws. So Joey loves my parents. I love his. There's sort of like a, you know, we just have a great family and everything. And the last thing I want my family to feel is sorry for me because of my husband. So yeah. I didn't tell them a whole lot. I didn't until it got really bad. I, I specifically remember I was running an errand for our family and mo- my mom had called and we were talking and it w- just happened to be at a moment where I, I just, I, I just was so overwhelmed and I ended up telling her and I remember feeling so much guilt too, because I didn't want my mom to think less of Joey. And of course she doesn't, yeah. cause she loves him. But, um, so I think that was probably one of the mistakes I made is I got pretty, part of my loneliness is I was lonely because he was so detached from me and just in his own world for a really long time. And I didn't really, I mean, people knew we were going through a hard time like our friends did, but I never really, I think one time my, the Basils, I mean, they asked enough questions where they pulled stuff out of me. And I remember crying a lot because I was holding it inside. So I think I just needed more of an outlet to share. And no one told me I had to do this, but I also, it almost felt a little bit like a secret to me. Like we're pretty open, but I don't think at the time the church that we're leading knew just how bad it was. And I didn't feel like it would be right of me to let anyone know that because then mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, they're all going to feel like, whoa. Our church might fall apart or we can't go to our pastor for anything because he's too depressed or anything like that. If so. we add one more thing to that, dude's play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, it just felt like a weird, I don't know if I'm going on and on, but um, no, I don't know. I'm just, it just was a, a place where well, you're protective I, of him as well. You don't want anyone yeah. to think anything less of him because you want people to see him as somebody that they can rely on and he's strong and he's, he's, he's yeah. awesome. And you don't want to say anything regardless if it's true or not, because you love him. Yeah. Um, I'm speaking for you, but I think this is probably how my wife would feel too. And I know it is. She doesn't want to say anything that might make someone think less of me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. So I was proud of him and the fact that he was able to just do what he could do in such a low place that he was at. 
But I also resented the fact that when he came home, he literally had zero left for me. He gave yeah. what little left he had to our kids, and then he went to bed. And so mm. I think that's why I struggled so badly. So I was, like, proud of him that he could actually do his job, but I was pissed at him because he wasn't there for me. And, I mean, I need time and snuggles. <laughs> so <laughs> I needed way too much <laughs> for someone that was feeling so bad. So... But but yeah. I will you know the uh, I'll say this too I, any wives that are living with husbands with depression uh, every single time Priscilla and I had sex the depression went away immediately <sighs> so just my God <laughs> I mean <laughs> if you if you want to knock that depression out hey <laughs> and the hey. crazier the sex. The quicker it works. You're trying to make a joke, but I actually tried that, and that did not even work in your worst depression. <laughs> God's magical prescription. <laughs> yeah, it's just not true, ladies. I just want to tell you that. Well, uh, anthem of hope, man. So I'm I'm excited when you told us about this on Bad Christian that you you're am I speaking out of turn to say that you're trying to partner up with as many churches as possible to aid them to help people with mental health? Yeah. So my end goal is I do uh, a lot of speaking still. Um, I do a lot of, I assist in a lot of digital marketing stuff for a lot of companies, nonprofits. And then my wife and I last three months have launched this nonprofit called Anthem of Hope, uh, which is dedicated to providing the church with an outlet for number one, uh, it's a 24 seven live chat that anyone, anyone can go on. Uh, and talk with what we call a hope coach. We don't call them counselors for legal reasons. Uh, a hope coach right. that they can be encouraged and talked to, and they can just unleash all of their all of their junk. Uh, and we can have someone that will talk them through that who's a trained hope coach. They're Christians, Bible-believing Christians. And then at the end of that, we will actually recommend they go find a local church and see a professional psychiatrist um, or counselor. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so there's that side of it. And then the other side of it is providing the church as a whole with workbooks and resources. And when I say workbooks, I do not mean lame, cheesy, Q&A, little checkmark. I mean legit, incredible workbooks that are not only fun to go through, but they're actually helpful. Yeah. Mind you, not saying that all the cheesy ones are not helpful. Right. Um, but that people are excited to do together. And my goal, and this is a very big goal, I want what... Um, celebrate recovery is for addiction for the church. I want Anthem of Hope to be for mental health. Yeah. Um, that is my goal. It is crazy. It is huge, but I believe it can happen. Um, right now I brought up the whole marketing thing because Anthem of Hope is not my full-time thing right now. I want it to be, right. I, I would have loved to eventually only be able to focus on or have to focus on continuing to speak, continuing to write, and then running Anthem of Hope and helping everybody that I can um, in any way that I can. And so right now I'm working on what will be our first uh, true resource on top of the live chat, um, which the the title is still in uh, in discussion, but it's basically a seven-day journey, I don't know, of soul discovery. I don't know. You can call it something like that, where it's a seven-day kind of journey workbook of you 
kind of admitting your brokenness, admitting yeah. the things you're going through, dealing with your, with your past. I have a chapter called, uh, one of the days is called Shaking Hands with Giants, and it's going it's about going back and reconciling broken relationships that might be still hindering you from overcoming some of the brokenness you have today. Um, there's uh, one about looking in the mirror, which is basically looking at yourself and writing down in brutal honesty words that you feel like right now describe what you think about yourself. Yeah. Then also writing down words that describe who you want to become. And so creating this first free resource is the first step. Uh, but the end goal is to create workbook after workbook that churches, nonprofits, um, anybody really, but it's, it's specifically for the church can adapt into their small groups, can adapt into their own version of whatever they want to call it. And just like churches have, Hey, we have celebrate recovery that meets on Wednesday nights. I want people to be able to say, Hey, we have Anthem of hope meetings that meet on Wednesday nights. Yeah. Uh, and we're going through a workbook together. Or if you're an individual and you're just like, dude, I heard about this workbook and everyone's posting about it and they're watching these videos that go along with it. I'm just going to go on the website and buy one and do it myself. Yeah. Uh, and in that workbook, it'll encourage them to go find community. So there's a lot of things That's cool, man. Uh, that are, are are happening with it. But yeah, man, it is it is my passion, dude. It is my heart. Yeah. And um, right now we're seeing a, a couple hundred people. I was like 500 people a week right now that are are on the live chat and the average chat time is 25 to 30 minutes. Gosh, that's awesome. And it's, it's predominantly all United States. Um, and it's the age demographics literally range for anywhere from 12 to 56. I mean, yeah. it's just crazy. So, and mind you, we've only been doing this for three months. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just insane. And so can people, um, can people contribute and like, like help out financially or like, how do yeah. You have so right there? now, Right now, if you go to the website, um, I'm I'm filing the 501c3 status today. So people are yes, not when did it was it yesterday today? Uh, one of those. Sorry, dude. There's a lot going on in my yeah. life. Uh, um, it, it is officially formed. Uh, people can donate right now if you go to the website. There's a donate button. Uh, it's not necessarily tax deductible right this moment, but it will be. Um, and every every dollar, none of it goes to staffing right now. None of it. No, I don't get any of it. My wife doesn't get any of it. Um, one day would my wife and I love to take a salary and make this be our full-time thing? Of course. But right now it all 100% goes towards, uh, basically promoting the website, um, keeping the website running, keeping the live chat running, um, creating promotional items to give away, creating the resources to give away for free this first one that we're doing. And so, yeah, then go to anthemapope.org and check it out. Nice. Nice. Well, dude, I appreciate you coming on here and taking over, man. It was no, I had a blast. I, uh, our friendship, man, it is so awesome. I think it's cool that God's brought us together. There's obviously, and we've talked about this before, there's a ton of things that I know you and I see very differently on, yeah. but I love it because that's why I think this works is, you know, we, although we see differently on some things, we also have a blast talking about yeah, those totally. differences totally. and we have a blast talking about the things that we see uh, in similarity. So yeah. I, I'm honored that you had me on, bro. Uh, keep doing what you guys are doing. Uh, I thank you guys for your friendship, and I'm glad we were able to have this conversation for anybody listening. Absolutely. Jared Wilson, everybody, and go to anthemofhope.com and then fundamentalistpastor.com if you want to pre-order or get the book whenever this episode is released. And, dude, congratulations on the the son that's on the way. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm pumped. We'll have him next on the podcast. Oh, for sure. Like, (laughs) he'll be on. Gurgle sounds and stuff. Yeah. (laughs)